He gave actors a lot of freedom to behave as you do in life. And that's what we wanted to do, was to recreate life with fictional stories that John wrote. Those are words from actor Seymour Cassell on John Cassavetti's 1971 film, Minnie and Moskowitz. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. I'm your host, Felicia Maroney, and today we're talking about Minia Moskowitz. So quick synopsis of the film is, a museum curator falls in love with a crazy parking attendant. The film stars Jenna Rollins as Minnie, Seymour Cassell as Moskowitz, Val Avery as Zelmo Swift, Catherine Cassavetes as Sheba Moskowitz, Lady Rollins as Georgia Moore, and Timothy Carey as Morgan Morgan. It's written and directed by John Cassavetes, cinematography by Ulrich Edens, Michael D. Margulies, and Arthur J. Ornitz. And it's edited by Frederick L. Nutson. My guest today is Dara McGrath. You might recognize him from not only one, but two episodes First being Ace in the Hole, Billy Wilder, for my first series. Then we did a bonus episode on Ula Grossbard, Straight Time. He's now here again for the third time, and likely the last time. I can only do three times for the guests. Um, it's a bit much. Is that a new rule that you just created? I was thinking about it because I often get feedback from episodes that you and I do, and people are like, oh, you oh. do have like great chemistry and it's like it's weird for me oh, to explain nice. that it's weird for me you know when you are like oh or are you two what's the deal and you're like oh you had to explain you know it's it's not like that it's just for good yeah. buddies bfs for life anyway yeah doesn't always feel that way <laughs> <laughs> wow well maybe if you had better taste in film then Is this we the wouldn't be doing that with people are talking about <laughs> well thank you for having me back uh, a third time i'm very honored the first episode I had you talk about your relationship to cinema, and you can hear that, you the listener, in our episode on Ace in the Hole. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. If you haven't seen the film, watch it and then listen to the episode. If you want to hear about some film wrecks that he had a month and a half ago, a couple of months at this rate, by the time this episode airs, Go listen to our episode on Straight Time. I also both recommend you watching that film because it's great. So this time around, I'm going to ask, what are your top three Cassavetes films? Go. Oh, go. Uh, the first one I ever saw was Faces. And no, top three I favorite. Top three favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so is that ranking from three? Is number three Faces? Or is that number one? Uh, number Number one is Faces. Your favorite God, film is Faces. Sure. My favorite. You're Cassavetes starting from film? one? Yeah. Wait, are, are we doing favorite Cassavetes? Yes, that's what I said. Yes. Yes, I'm doing Faces. <laughs> so number one is Cut Faces? Yes. <laughs> so why are you starting from one? Why don't you start from three? Okay, okay, okay. If I edited this out. I'm, uh, no. Three. Is this, this, this is Cassavetes' directed films, obviously. Yeah. Yes. All right, I'm going to do three. Minnie Moskowitz, two, Woman Under the Influence, one, Faces, boom. That's wild. Well, here's the thing. I've only watched Faces twice, actually, but I watched them very close together. It was the first Cassavetes film I ever saw, and it had like a very profound effect on me. I saw it on like a mm -hmm. big 
that's uh, fair. screen in, in my in my cinema in my cinema in my college sorry um and it was the first kind of you know i'd seen the classic 70s american cinema like um godfather and dog day afternoon and that kind of stuff but this was this was something kind of different and initially i didn't like love it when i was watching it but then it kind of as i was watching it, i became incredibly involved and very engrossed by it hmm. and i just always i just always remember that seymour castle scene with the with the older women and yeah i remember the end of the movie and everything like that and it it was my first time i ever saw gina Rollins or anyone like that and the style of it and then reading about it afterwards just like how he did his thing and how he shot his films and the kind of thing that mm-hmm. probably everybody who gets in the cast of Eddie's reads about. Uh, and I just found it like really interesting. And obviously you read interviews with him and he was a fairly, uh, you know, he had his, uh, his way of <laughs> answering questions, which was tend to be quite direct and somewhat profane. And, uh, you know, that's always interesting. Yeah. I definitely responded to him as a lot of, you know, young people into f- young men and especially into f- getting in- into film respond to. I am going to just extremely rapid fire off some facts on this film. And then we're going to get into it. Universal Pictures greenlit the project during the early 70s in an attempt to replicate the success of Easy Rider. Easy Rider is a movie that I seem to talk about a lot on this podcast because it's, it's, it is an important film within American cinema. It's the film that people talk about as what created the best of the 70s American films. When we talk about American cinema, there are certain eras that we talk about. 70s being probably one of, definitely one of my favorites. 70s and like 40s and 50s being the best. But 70s is when they really were like, we don't care anymore because they were coming off of what we just experienced with the the actors strike. You know, there was a strike that happened and that's what caused them to just be like, we're going to do our own thing. Mm-hmm. And the studio system was falling apart and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Easy Rider is what's usually coined as that film as the early star for it. I like to say The Swimmer had a huge hand in that too. I think it's a forgotten film. This is 1968. So it's even the year before Easy Rider. But I think The Swimmer really is the precursor to all the best 70s films that you can think of. In many ways, it feels like a 70s film. Burt Lancaster's production company kind of paved the way for uh, 100%. The kind of independent, uh, what was it, Lancaster, Hill and Hecht. Uh, they paved the way for how to operate outside the studio system, but while still using the studio, like the studio distribution mm-hmm. system. That's how you should do it. They did a lot of hard hitting, kind of for that time, hard hitting films. And they produced a lot of films like Marty and stuff like that it was a huge hit that was like made for no money that was supposed to be like a tax write off. So they paved the way for a lot of that stuff. And of course, shout out Ernest Borgnine. Burt Lancaster, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Dennis Hopper starred with Burt Lancaster in what film? <laughs> I don't know. I'm blanking. <laughs> Who's in Goodfoot at the OK Corral? Weren't they all in that? Oh, yeah. It's a young Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah. Apologies. Young yes. Dennis Hopper, yes. Reportedly, after the movie had originally launched, the Universal Picture Studio cut a sequence at the start of the picture. This allegedly breached the contract with writer-director Cassavetti, but no video release on either DVD or video cassette for the young people that's VHS has ever featured the edited-out scene of this film. Curious 
as to what it is. I'm sh- assuming at some point some indie company, if Criterion doesn't get to it, will release it. It's weird that Criterion didn't include this film in the box set. And this is the last time you'll hear me say fun facts on the show. I've decided post this that fun facts sometimes come up through discussions. So I think it's more coherent to do it that way. And you can also just go to IMDb to read you're, those you're facts yourself. This yep. Killing fun myself too. <laughs> I am ready to talk about Minnie Moskowitz. Are Minnie you? Moskowitz. I am. Well, when did you when did you first see this film? Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask you. First time I saw this film, I think you and I watched it together for the first Correct. time. Yeah, it was right around <laughs> the start of COVID. The pandemic, was it? No, it was before <laughs> that. No, no, it was right around the start of COVID. Or we definitely watched it in, I think we watched it right at the start of the pandemic, like near near the beginning. Because I remember right. the mustache and just talking, you were you were like outraged by his mustache. I don't think I would be outraged. Like, this is Not outraged okay. in like, a, like an angry way. Okay, so you know that's a good point. I don't recall that, but that's a good point on what I've been saying about Cassavetes and just being able to evolve with his work. Because the pandemic, let's give it three years ago, mm-hmm. I would have been disgusted by mustaches three years ago. Yeah, but now you love. Fast them. forward three years now, mustaches <laughs> are my everything. I cannot look up a man with doesn't have it's, mustache. It's it's November, so that's good. I don't know that's what that is. <laughs> I mean, the first time I watched it, I had it was along with Too Late Blues. I never actually was able to download Husbands because it was like so hard to find it. Wait, so what year would would you have watched this in? Like nineteen eighty what? <laughs> like two thousand six or seven. So yeah, I remember just watching it and being like, kind of like, do I even like this film? Like, what the fuck is going on? As as you kind of feel that way with a lot of Cassavetes films, where they kind of start off, and you're like, ah, "Am I am I am I gonna watch this?" But it, he always does this. He has this way with his characters. He has this way with kind of making the world feel very lived in, and you always just kind of get drawn into it pretty quickly. I think, I think this film, um, the opening is great. It's got a very similar to Straight Time, which we've spoken about. It's got a mm-hmm. similar kind of jaunty music opening. You've got um. Uh, Seymour kind of walking through the streets and he looks sort of he looks like he looks like Asterix you know Asterix yeah. and Obelix you guys know that? Um, yeah. yeah he looks like Asterix so he's got the wild the wild mustache he, the first scene is him going into that diner and talking to the kind of other uh, like the yeah uh, who, Timothy Carey uh, the, the, the actor what, what is his deal he's just kind of like a crazy guy Timothy Carey is the actor and the f- character is called Morgan Morgan and he's just kind of losing it, essentially. That's one of his early scenes. But before we get into that, I do think it's very interesting because I hadn't thought about it before you mentioned it. But I do think I agree that it makes sense that Straight Time would be, would, sorry, be a great pairing with this film because mm-hmm. this sort of very gritty L.A. But what I, what, I like about the, what I like about the first scene is that, you know, he goes into the diner and this guy starts kind of ranting at him a little bit and most people would get up and move away or they'd say don't bother me or they'd get aggressive you know ignore him and Seymour very much kind of like listens to him and even though he's sort of laughing but he 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 does kind of treat him like a fellow human being probably because he knows he's been treated that way in the past like 
he's been treated yeah. badly in the past as well. So he has this kind of humanity to him that is sort of refreshing. And he or he orders a what he orders a hot dog, coffee, and beer, and the, the waitress is like, "What? What are you doing?" You know, it's like, it's quite funny. But he he's he kind of converses with the guy, and the guy gives his little kind of what does he say? He says cinemas are for lonely people, which mm-hmm. is uh, quite funny. Opening scene establishes Seymour's character, and then it's immediately followed by the scene of him going into the bars and being like a kind of a creep. Yeah, and kind of going up to every woman in the bar and being like, "Have we? What was? What does he say?" He's like, "Oh, I know you," or something like that. Yeah, have you met before? Classic, like, yeah, as if as if anyone who's met him wouldn't remember him. He doesn't seem aware that he's being inappropriate. Yeah. Do you, Do you think he's aware of it, or do you like he's kind of when the guy I don't starts telling so. him, he's kind of like, "Oh, what's going on? Why is everybody angry with me?" Kind of. I don't think he is aware at all. Yeah, he's just he sees himself as a people. Well, he is a people person, really. There's that, and I think there's maybe something else. Yeah, and I think he can't differentiate between like the social situations. Like for him, it's all the same, and other people would be like, "Well, you can't act that way with these people in this environment." Yeah, it's weird because every time I've watched it, it reads differently. Mm. For me, I just was like, this is a guy who means well, and he's maybe socially awkward in the sense that he's not, because he's very easy to talk to, but he doesn't understand the social conventions that we've placed upon ourselves. He's just going in his own way, and he's he's either defying those, or he just doesn't know how to meet those. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't know how to meet those, there's a reason why. It's because there's some sort of it could be some sort of disability that he might have that he's unable to meet the social cues. And that's why he's the way he is. And I think he means, well, um, essentially this is a love story. We've got two characters. We've got Minnie, we've got Minnie uh, and Moskowitz. These are two people that didn't really need to meet ever, but they end up meeting. We get Moskowitz. He starts off in a completely different city. And he eventually moves to yeah. LA. So we start off at Moskowitz and we get his background, what his deal is. And he's like, okay, I'm moving to LA for no other reason than just he's moving to LA. He tells his mom, I'm moving to LA. It's says like Cassavetti's like, uh, he's like, we need to get him to LA. He's just going to say, I'm going to California mm-hmm. and then it's going to go to California. Yeah. Which I like. Those are my type, favorite type of films where it's just straight to the point. Like I'm doing this, but I don't need to give you a whole, you know, hours worth of background why I'm doing this. It's like, this is the reason why they're young enough people that they don't have any, you know, responsibilities other than their own selves, their own bills. They don't have children. They're not married. They can make the decision to move to another city. There's nothing stopping him from moving to LA from, I assume is probably like New York, New Jersey. There's no, I think it's yeah. New York. What's the, what's the reason that he gives his mom? Is there, is it just that he doesn't give her a reason in LA or like, well, which makes more sense. Yeah. There would be more, there would be more use for that in LA than there would be on the that's East his, coast. That's his profession. Like, so he's now in LA and he happens to meet many. In a weird circumstance, because she's on a date with someone that she didn't really want to be on a date with, she was set up with. It's really going awfully. Yeah, the worst, the worst date ever. So aggressive towards her, and he's essentially saving her, but then he's also aggressive towards her. So it's like it's toxic 
right from the beginning, their relationship. If we go back to meet uh, and we meet Minnie for the first time uh, and she's out with her work friend or her friend and uh-huh. she kind of also has goes on a little kind of tangent about the movies and how she was kind of raised to believe in certain kind of fantasies of love and stuff like that and how it's all like uh it's all a lie and all this kind of thing uh-huh. um so i think that kind of establishes the character the two characters to be like she's a sort of like a withered romantic and he's kind of like a sort of he's a, he's a realist but he's also has like a lot of romantic ideas about and he's still kind of in that sort of vibe uh-huh. uh, and then you also see Minnie. she meets her her lover, who is Johnny Casavetes, and he's it's a bu- an abusive relationship. He beats her, and that's a pretty tough scene to watch. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like the reality she's living in. And her apartment is all like pink, and looks like ballerinas and stuff like that. It's kind of like a little girl's sort of like yeah. a Barbie sort of vibe. And then then she yeah she goes on a date with that kind of horrific, the worst date ever. This guy is just like ranting about previous dates he's been on. Uh-huh. Which again, having worked in a lot of restaurants and bars, I've actually seen that guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's maybe not that extreme, but like versions of it for sure. I, like I have also seen the working yeah. service industry. I've seen yeah. those exact types. And you're always just like, how can you be this? Like, you know, how can you think this is a regular way to act? And she's got these great glasses, the massive glasses that she's got on, the black glasses. I mean, it's it's hard to watch that even. I think as a human being, but I guess especially as a woman, just being like, I think we've all been in that place where you're like, this person is aggressive at everything you're saying because they're not, you're not giving them the answer that they were expecting. And how yeah. do you get out of this situation without literally being, you know, murdered by this person? And it's like, it's funny to say that, but it's also not funny because it's a reality for a lot of people. And you feel that and that's, in that uh, moment with her uh like that guy is also living in a kind of fantasy of what relationship should be like and what uh-huh. what how women should be around him and how he you know he's he's going on about how he's being you know he treats them so well and they treat him like all this kind of stuff so he's also living in that kind of like fantasy world of sort of disney sort of you know uh-huh. relationships or however you want to put it the idealized yeah. kind of love relationship uh, but he's just like on the more kind of male anger side of it, I guess. To, yeah. You know. I mean, I think it's interesting that you say that because I think Cassavetes, he's known for writing about women. That's mm. like his strongest films are about women. You got Jenna and those lead roles. But some people might think his stuff is misogynistic too. I mean, I don't mm. agree. It's somewhat similar to my previous series on Brian De Palma, who I don't agree is misogynistic at all. I think he just, you know, writes women and the the way that they experience life is accurate, but it's not the nicest way because that's unfortunately the way that a lot of women, you know, experience life is not in the nicest way. It's same with many in this film. She's getting abused basically throughout it. And it might not be as violent as the way she's experiencing it with Cassavetti's character, but there's still mm-hmm. violence the, the way she's experiencing it. Um, and all, all of the male characters are sort of upset with her for not fulfilling whatever role they have for her in their head. So even uh-huh. the Cassavetti's wants her to be the 
the affair, the the lover. Yeah, like he doesn't, but she kind of wants to be like the wife, and he doesn't want her acting like that. He he's upset when she just doesn't accept that what they have is what they have. Yeah, uh, and then he goes back to his wife, and there's that terrible scene with his wife where she's just given up. Yeah, and she attempts to commit kill herself. Yeah, yeah. it's early uh, enough in the film because mm-hmm. I don't even think her and Moskowitz have fully, fully like gotten together at that point. But it's interesting that you say that about the men fulfilling and like a fantasy. I just want to quickly read a quote by Cassavetes himself on that before we get into Restas. But he says, in terms of this film, he says the the movie is sort of a fairy tale. It's dedicated to all the people who didn't marry the person they should have. And I think that's important to keep in mind about this film. It's like... Mm-hmm. There's marrying, like, you know, signing a document. There's marrying as in terms of when you get into a relationship with someone and it's like you're getting into a relationship, doesn't matter how long it's been, if you've signed anything, it's sort of a marriage of time together. And as I said, the person that she's on a date with, you know, he thinks that she should be this way. Same with Cassavetti's characters. He thinks that she should be some sort of way. And she thinks that those men should be a certain way also, and they're not mm-hmm. matching. And when the Minnie and Moskowitz meet, it's weird because they know that they're not right for each other, but there's something drawing them to one another. Yeah. And I think I think for Seymour or for for sorry, for Minnie, Seymour is like she can't tell what he's gonna do. Yeah. So in one, in, he's very gallant and saves her in the first scene, and then he yeah. like immediately stalks her with his van immediately afterwards. I mean, they go to the bar and he like tries to hit on her, <laughs> and then she tries to leave, and you know, is telling him to get the hell away from her, and he f- follows her on the footpath in his van, in his big creepy van. I mean, by any standards, that's kind of like you know not acceptable. <laughs> like, you know, probably would be arrested in in, in real world. There's so many triggers. It's different because, like, the stuff that you're saying, yes, those are like obvious triggers, but I think even it goes mm-hmm. back further from that. Like, when they, when he essentially, in quotes, saves her from this man mm-hmm. and she gets in the car and they're driving and they go to that like hot dog stand just because that's the place yeah. to stop. And he's like, put your head on my shoulder. Because he thinks that in his mind, and I think it's genuine, I think that he genuinely thinks that that'll comfort her. But as a woman, you don't know this man. And you've gone through one, first of all, a traumatic situation. She just met this person and she doesn't know this man. And he's having her put her head on her shoulder. It's like, and she doesn't want to, but she's sort of like, you can tell as a woman or as a person has been aggressed in that way or harassed you're like your mind starts racing so quickly you're like it's so much easier for me to just do this than say no Mm. and deal with the repercussions of it because she's already dealt with that and she's not stupid you know she comes across as sometimes a little bit ditzy but she's not a stupid person at all she knows exactly what's happening at all times i think a point on this film that i uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on our, this film is often like kind of described as a comedy and it's on top list of best comedies of all time. I don't find it funny. <laughs> like I don't, I love this film a lot. I really do. And there's humorous 
parts of it, but I don't view it as a comedy because I don't know if it's just life experience or viewing it as a woman, but I don't find it funny at all. How do you view it? And like, no judgment just because I don't find it funny. I think I don't view it as a comedy. I think there's a, I think there's a level of absurdity to see more specifically. And you've sort of inserted this almost caricature comic character into a kind of real world situation. So I think to a degree, people who call it a comedy maybe are laughing at the people in the film. Uh, yeah. I don't think he finds them humorous in that way. I think he probably empathizes with them quite a bit. And I think he's kind of playing up, you know, the general ideas of romantic comedies from Hollywood and all throughout the ages. I think he's kind of playing with those conventions a little bit. And he's playing with those characters a little bit. And he's inserted these kind of much more chaotic, specifically Seymour is chaotic because, you know, you could see the Jenna Rowland's character in a sort of 70s romantic drama and maybe it being kind of more of a traditional Hollywood film. You could see that character being in it. And then she finds Mr. Wright and he's played by whoever, Harry Dean Stanton or <laughs> Warren Beatty yeah. or something. And he, you know, she discovers love again and stuff. But like the Seymour character is just sort of so off. He's such an oddball. I think that you could say that he's he's comedic, just his kind of character. But I don't think it's the comedy in that. There's funny scenes. I mean, the scenes near the end, especially when they're with their mothers and stuff like that. Like other other yeah. characters could be funny or kind of funny. Enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I think because he's so kind of ridiculous that those parts are, are the comedic parts. Even in something so heavy as women under the influence, there are comedic parts in that film. So Casavetes is capable of that, but I don't think this is a comedy. Also, the way they speak. I mean, it's the way like Seymour. My favorite line in the film is, uh, "You don't know beans from Boston," which is when they have an argument, and he's just he says all this like weird stuff, and it's because he has a very. It's funny to me because when you look at, I think you mentioned something about like him and his mustache and just men like that. When I when I envision men like that outside of the 70s, I think of men from small towns like the where I'm from. You are from a city, but I'm originally from a small town. Like I know small town people and that's those are the type of men that I would be used to being around. And I whenever I see someone like that, I am immediately I'm just like, oh you're from a small town who just happens to be in a city. Because uh, you don't really get that in the city unless they're actively trying to look that way. The people from the small town, they just look that way. <laughs> you know, they're not trying to look that way. That's just how they wake up in the city. They're actively going out of their way. They style themselves to look that way. And that's the way Casavetti or, or Moskowitz comes across is that's his everyday life. So it's weird that he's like a city guy because he looks like he was be someone who's from a small town from like the Midwest as opposed to like New York or LA. You're talking about cities of that size. He's probably like still quite isolated. He doesn't seem to have any friends. He, his mom is like his main sort of go-to as like, uh, you know, that's who he talks to. It's interesting having that because there's like that sense of realism within those characters. And just because he comes across as like a nice, sweet man doesn't mean he is how he sees himself but that's not necessarily how he's viewed by everybody else including the mm -hmm. that's how Casavetti's necessarily views him leader i think that he sees himself as a nice guy 
but he definitely behaves in questionable ways. Uh, even even when he picks up that girl at the gas station, you know, there's yeah. there's he drops her back at the gas station. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's it's funny because it's absurd, but it's also like a weird kind of thing to do, I guess. So you wouldn't do that. Well, it's more the the fact that he drops her right back to where he like met her. Where would you it. drop her? I don't know. You probably ask where she would like to be. At her house. Because she's like not happy about it, right? She's like, why are you dropping me back here? That's what I'm saying, but I think there's something deep, there's something else going on with yeah. Moskowitz. Yeah. That he doesn't have those social cues that he picks up on. I think, I mean, it does establish that he's got some like anxiety stuff going on. Or he says that line about uh, when they're having an argument. I think they're having an argument. Are they having an argument or are they having. I don't know. Anyway, he's talking to Minnie and he says, I talk about everything that I, except what I want to talk about. So it's yeah. just like, just, he's just constantly like talking at her and talking to her and trying to like, it's very like machine gun almost. And yeah. she's sort of overwhelmed by him. Like where she's like, I do not know what this guy is doing, but she's drawn to him too. Cause he is being kind of, he's also mixing in like being sweet and being understanding and, kind of trying to see her perspective a little bit and trying to get her out of her shell. I mean, he does, he does see what's going on with her to a degree. He's like, you yeah. know, he's calling her out and some of her like um, behavior that she's obviously learned to behave because she's had to be defensive and stuff like that. But he is calling out like some of her, maybe how would you put it? I don't know. Like her? maybe she, he's uh, her, her, her performative or yeah. Quirks, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the best example yeah. is obviously when they go to the club and she meets those people who she obviously knows from her regular life and she doesn't introduce him because she's kind of, I guess, embarrassed by him. And he spots that immediately. He's just like, he knows exactly what she's doing. And obviously I had a lot of empathy in that scene because that's that's usually what happens to me as well. So. <laughs> hey, that's TMI and we weren't getting that. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I'm joking. I I'm joking. apologize. To you, yeah. on behalf of any woman who's ever done that to you, that seems like a bad time. I always introduce you as my BFF, so yeah, like literally I've never denied podcast, you. Yeah. I have never denied yeah. that. Um, so I don't know who you're referring to, but that sucks. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Yeah, it sucks. He does call her out in her bullshit, essentially. Sometimes, um, yes. But there's a couple things I want to talk about before you move past that. Because I understand that perspective of it, of him calling her out on that, because I think that she is being performative, but there's a reason for that, because she needs to protect herself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's learned behavior. It's, it's, or sorry, it's, it's, it's learned from her experiences that she's had, like the date with yes. that crazy dude. I mean, she knows. She needs to do that to protect herself, because... One, she doesn't know this man, but then also when she starts to know him, she can see that this man's uh, unstable, and so is she. They're both unstable. Yeah, but she's not like she's not dangerously unstable. Yeah. Whereas he is. We don't yeah. know that he's. We don't know what he's capable of, and we're also on edge of like the, the viewer is just like, what is this man going to do? She's also in an abusive relationship, uh, you know. So it's sort of like. When she introduces him as her friend, it's the exact same type of thing that I would do and most women would do. 
And you, she probably caught herself being like, oh, shit, this is going to piss him off. But she's like, I can't. It's it's a weird limbo there where you're like, I introduce him as my friend because that's how I need him to be mm-hmm. um, to other people. No, but then it's going to piss him off. Or I introduce him as more than that. And then he's led on to believe that we are more than that in that moment. It's also, essentially, they have just met. I mean, it, it hasn't been very long. So, yeah, he, he, it's his it's his kind of childlike thing of like, oh, well, now they're, you know, mm-hmm. we're immediately, you know, we're in love. We're going to be married. We're going to have kids like like from day one, which is he has this sort of like, I mean, massive red flags, I guess. Well, it's interesting because you don't, you don't often, you don't often get male characters who are portrayed that way. It's usually like the female Mm -hmm. character who's like so on board right off the bat. I mean, he is kind of acting like his behavior is similar to like a, a, you know, when you see a Hollywood romantic film and they immediately, they have their meat cute and then they're just mad about it. And it's like, goes very quickly. And yeah, like those Hallmark movies, you know, it's like, it's Mm kind of like, he's kind of acting like that, except that he's in the real world. And it comes across as very strange. I mean, mm-hmm. his, he, he's also got these romantic ideas of how things should be and stuff like yeah. that. And she's just more experienced because she's, I think he doesn't have that much sort of experience of relationships in terms mm-hmm. of actual like relationships. Well, yeah, because I don't think he's grown up yet. I'm going to read another, another quote by a writer. Her name is Naomi Keenan O'Shea. So she says, on the surface, Moskowitz appears to lead a life that is directionless and lonely. He is a keen observer of people and possesses an immense, albeit conventional, capacity for love. And I think that essentially encompasses Moskowitz. I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he's learned to be a person who can live within the world that he is living in in that moment. Right. And I think that's why I'm saying that there's more under the surface of just anxiety and him being sheltered. I think there's something else that's preventing him from understanding the way the conventions that we've all set up for ourselves. Right. It's not that our conventions are the right way to be. It's just that, unfortunately, there are conventions that are always going to be conventions, social conventions that we consider the norm. This is the case in. All Cassavetti's films, all of his, all of his characters, in almost all of the films, have some kind of. They have some kind of. Um, I mean, Woman Under Influence is the obvious one, but even every other, most of his other films have these kind of characters who seem like they're in the wrong social situation, or they're they're not suited to whatever situation they're in, and they're not really built for being able to sort of conform to whatever the situation demands of them. And I guess that's how he was as well as a filmmaker. So that's kind of how he felt about how he was viewed as a filmmaker. He was a mm-hmm. generally seen as kind of a difficult person to uh, work with. Even as an actor, I think he was also supposedly quite difficult. Even with like, um, there's the I read that Burt Lancaster biography or whatever, and he was Lancaster hated him in in the first <laughs> film they worked together, but then after a few years. Cassavetes kind of popped his head into his door in the office. He's like, you know, I've 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 become a lot better. I'm much better now. We should work together again. Yeah. And I guess it's like, no. <laughs> I think, or maybe they did work together. I don't know. Um, but wait, 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 wait. I'll cut up. But what's the movie we're talking about? The Burn Lancaster. Oh, was it um, when he directed him in? Yeah, yeah. It was a but child. The Cassavetes. Was, was Cassavetes in it? 
I don't think he was in it. No, but oh no, no, I think he did. Lancaster had a problem with him directing. They didn't. Oh, okay, didn't okay. Him, but he didn't get on with a lot of his directors. So yeah, Lancaster didn't get on with a bunch of directors. So that's not exactly something new. I know that he had issues like Castavetti's had issues with um, Polanski, just the way he didn't hate it, the way he made the film. Like he just didn't like the, the style of filmmaking that he had, I guess. But that's the classic thing of you know working with an actor who's also a director and maybe isn't yeah. a director yet. You know, you're gonna have arguments about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think all of Cassavetti's films kind of cover people who are exist outside the norm and are sort of forced to be in situations that require them to be normal when they can't. Do you, do you think do you think that he cares if people like his characters? Do you think he cares no. if people like I think he likes Minya Moscus, but I don't think I don't think he cares if the viewer likes them. Cuz it's quite a anxiety producing film for for most people when you watch it. Yeah, I don't know if he likes them either. I think he's interested in them. Mm. The same way that you and I are interested in them, but we may not like them, but we're interested in watching them and we've watched them over and over again. And other people have watched them over and over again, but we may not like them. This movie, the first time I watched this, stressed me out so bad that I was sweating. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can watch this again. And then each time I watch it, I'm less stressed out because I know what's happening. But the first time I was so stressed out because I was worried for her <laughs> yeah. to be like, get out of this situation, please. And she doesn't. It's a rare, it's, it's, he's sort of turning the convention on its head where you're watching one of these films and you're thinking you want them to get together and they have their, their big fight and they break up and then they get back together at the end. This is a film yeah. where you're like, I hope they just stay apart because I think it's probably best for everyone. And instead the film keeps pushing them together and you're like, Oh God, they're going to, they're going to stay together. Oh God, they're going to get married. Oh God, they're meeting the, mar- the mothers. And it just becomes almost more kind of uh, like <laughs> it becomes almost more catastrophic as the film goes on, but it's sort of, even even the meeting with the mothers are, is like one of the best moments of the film near the end, when when his mom his mom starts starts ripping into like Seymour's mom starts ripping into him and being like, "What do you see in this guy?" Like he's oh, played by the great Catherine Cassavetes. She's always yeah. my favorite when she shows up in a film because she's always just ripping people apart. But there's also that part in that scene where they talk about how they just met, like. It's not even like been a, week a full ago, week. Like yeah, yeah, I don't even know if it's been like a full week or it's been a week. I can't. I'll tell yeah, my he's head sort of like sort of like everything that they're doing is wrong. But but anyone would like if your friends, if you yeah. one of your friends just brought forth a girl or a guy or a person and it was like, uh, we're engaged and you've never heard of this person before and you're like, wait, how long you've been together? Oh, it's been like a week. You'd also be like, um. Are you okay or what's going on? Yeah. 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 Seymour's mom almost is like, not that like, she's sort of like, Oh God, what's he doing? While, you know, it's, it's definitely probably out of character for, um, Minnie a little bit. I don't know if it is though. Her mom, her mom is almost quite like quiet, like relatively. Yeah. That's why I'm just sort of like, I don't know if it's out of character for her, but she knows that she's not well right now. Mm. and doesn't need this and is not in the right mind, frame of mind to be doing this. So she's trying to navigate, you know, how to deal with that in a softer way than Moskowitz's mom does, where she's just like, yeah, my son's a piece of shit. How's he going to take care of you? <laughs> this is valid, I guess. 
not even just like take care of you because that's whatever. I know it's a different time. Now you wouldn't necessarily ask a question. It'd be more like, you know, how are you going to take care of yourself? (laughs) Essentially, as opposed to the other person. It does keep coming back to these kind of like screwball elements of like 30s and 40s cinema. Like he does keep returning to this idea that it's kind of like a screwball romance and it sort of exists in its own universe, which kind of excuses him from, although, you know, he does include things like the scenes that he's in where he's like mm-hmm. hitting her stuff like that. Yeah. And it's sort of like almost like a David Lynch thing of like, you're in, you're suddenly in a violent world and then you're taken back into the kind of dream world. He does play around with the form quite a bit. And it's sort of an interesting, if somebody's going to be like, recommend me a romantic drama, you know, Minya Moskowitz is a kind of a funny one mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's yeah. challenging. It's like, it's, it's messing around with the conventions. It's, pushing you to be like, well, that is kind of how people act in these kind of films where they're, mm. you know, love very quickly and except we're just supposed to accept, it. but the reality of it is kind of like messed up. It's sort of weird. Except that does happen to certain people. It does happen. And it's chaotic. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to comment on just from what you said of Cassavetti's playing kind of like an ugly character. I talked about this in past episodes, but his willingness to when he does insert himself into a film that he's directed he quite often plays a character who's the least likable <laughs> in this films for sure and then opening night it's not as bad as this film but he's playing you know an ugly enough character but in many moskowitz he's like he's he's the villain in this film uh, he knows the way he's kind of viewed within Hollywood. When you think about the films you've seen of Cassavetti that said that his what he's directed, he's not often cast as anything other than sort of the villain. Like the Fury, mm-hmm. he's the villain. And then his most famous one, <laughs> Rosemary's yeah. Baby, where yeah. he's the he's the villain. He's just sort of like, that's my vibe. So I'm going to play that and I don't care. Mm. Like, you know, someone's got to play that, this character. So why not be me? And it doesn't matter if people hate me because they're not supposed to root for me. So I'll take that role. And I, I do appreciate that. Is there, are there any other parts of the film that you want to chat about? That we've been kind of flip flopping everywhere as I do yeah, on the show. I don't yeah. typically go in narrative fashion ever. Because I don't this think a, that's really interesting. This is a late night it's... recording. So I did say I thought that the film had, uh, it is, it ultimately follows the Hollywood thing of that it, there's a happy ending and there's a happy mm-hmm. ending with in quotation marks. I get you're to, I think it, it does cut forward, right? And they've got kids. So yeah. They all seem pretty pleased with how things are working out. Um, or there's kids around. Like I think it's just assumed that it's their kids. I think it implies that it's their kids. Yeah. And uh, just that I think it's a film about maybe, empathy you know allowing people with rough edges to sort of live in the world too i guess Mm -hmm. i will say that this was my fourth time watching it and i i probably weirdly enough it was probably i liked it the least this time (laughs) because you had to do it for a show no i I just it felt like a little more um i mean i've seen it a bunch of times it it felt like a chore no there was there was a few scenes where it felt like something was kind of missing or something like that i don't know so what you're saying is you would like to give Cassavetes some notes, deliver them to his grave. Yeah. Notes, notes from the grave. Well, I'm sure he'd give me notes back, which would probably be like two words uh, beginning with F and off. Valid. 
All right. Well, then I think we covered many Moskowitz to the ability that we could. And it's a complex enough film. I'm very sure everyone has their own views on their relationship. And I think that's, you know, what's the most important part of this film, that it kind of leaves it up to the viewer to create their sort of own interpretation of those individual people and then their relationship without kind of forcing your hand or your views. And that's the beauty of the writing in the film. I think it would be interesting to see how the actors talk about how they view their characters. I'm sure there is interviews with them and I just haven't watched them. I th- because of the way Cassavetti shoots his films, he would he would always do it like from beginning to end. He he didn't yeah. um, do how most films are shot. He would he would shoot every scene in order, yeah. and it was chronologically, so yes. oh. chronologically, so allowing the actors a little more to kind of get into the characters and stuff like that. So I would be interested in seeing how Seymour Castle and Jenna Rollins sort of spoke about those characters and the relationship because I think. It probably evolved during film and filming would be my guess that it, it didn't necessarily stick to whatever script Cassavetes had. I think especially in the kind of fighting scenes and the the sort of fighting lovemaking scenes, I think those, mm-hmm. um, they felt very loose and very, um, what's it called when you make it up as you go along? Improvising? It felt somewhat improvisational, but also like. I mean, I, I think that's what a lot of his work gets kind of. Hey, accuse is not the best word of, or best word to describe it, but a lot of people think a lot of his work is improvised because of the nature of the way the actors are delivering the lines. And I think it's just because, one, he's working with a repertoire of actors he often works with. They're mm. good friends, so they know his style of work, especially Jenna, like, literally married, so they would know each other that well that it seems like it's being improvised but there's a full-on script that they're literally just they've memorized but it seems so real the way it's written that it seems like it could just be them just shitting the shit essentially and figuring out what these characters would do but like 99 percent of it is scripted there is there's true lines in the film like uh jenna's uh sorry minnie's glasses there's a whole thing about her glasses being on and off and when they're off she's being herself and when they're on she's kind of being a you know this character and it's yeah. the same thing when they when they shave off um his mustache which i know is a very harrowing scene for you but <laughs> but you know he was the the idea that maybe the mustache was making him into like a character a little bit and he shaves it off to be kind of more truthful with her i guess was the kind of the, the mm-hmm. idea behind it. so there's that idea that we kind of build characters for ourselves and we're all sort of actors anyway. And then it's about breaking that down, being a more honest version of yourself. Yep. With the person you love. I wouldn't know anything about them. <laughs> Wanted to give you an opening there. All right. So I'm ready to move into end credits if you are. End credits. Yes. I would love to know if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, I would love to watch Cassavetes films. I've been hearing a lot about him. Where should I start? What's the film that you're recommending? And what's the reasoning behind that recommendation? Uh, I would definitely not pick this film. Uh, I would pick probably. Oh. Yeah, no, I wouldn't pick this film. I wouldn't pick Faces either. I, I would pick either. I would pick A Woman Under Influence, to be honest. Yeah. I think that's his most okay. like complete film in terms of who he was as a filmmaker and 
all of his like all of the things that people love about his films and and hate about his films if you don't like them. But it's all there in A Woman Under Influence. It's an amazing central performance. It's Jenna Rollins. You have to have her, I guess, as your yeah. you know. You can't really talk about Cassavetes without talking about Jenna Rollins. Mm-hmm. So I would say I would say that you could say you could say if you want to start the start start of shadows. I guess just this is sort of in terms yeah. of the style you you could you could follow through with the style and then faces is like the loosest film and then everything after that becomes a bit more like narrative you know focused uh but i, w- I would start with that you you know i would i wouldn't say start with this necessarily okay that's interesting i would i would put it above a lot of other films to start with though it's no i just say it's interesting because every single guest that i've had on for cast Betty's month has given me a different answer and mm. I've agreed with all their their reasonings on it. Like starting before I started the Casavetti's month, my initial response was a woman under the influence because that's my favorite of his. Mm-hmm. Going through rewatching, it's still my favorite, but I'm just like, I don't know that that's necessarily actually the best place to start, depending on the person, right? I know if if this is someone who I know can handle that because it's probably the hardest one to watch because it takes a lot out of you to watch that film uh if i know that you can handle that and being like okay if this is your thing you can move forward from there then yeah i'll recommend that first movie i saw of cassavetes the shadows i don't think i i wouldn't recommend that either to start off with i Mm. did it because (laughs) without sounding like a dick i was in film school so i was like this is i know cassavetes I'm going to start at the beginning. So I started at the beginning, right. but that's only because that's my mentality as a film student or a film fan. Mm-hmm. If you're just a person who is interested in getting into cast studies for whatever reason, I wouldn't recommend that. Throughout my series, I decided I was like, I think that Mini Moskowitz is the best place to start. And only because I think it off- it gives you everything he has to offer. And it's abrasive, but it's not as abrasive as like a faces, like you said, I would not recommend mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't recommend husbands either to start off with because you're just going to be so turned off by it. You need the background on yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of husbands, to be honest, but yeah. Uh, a woman on influence, depending on the person, yes or no. But I would say Mini Moskowitz or Opening Night are the mm-hmm. ones that are not going to fully turn you off of him and are going to open you up. And then you can go to something like Killing of a Chinese Bookie and then... Yeah, you don't you don't always want to start with the with the ma- you know with the best film with the masterpiece or whatever or the the most well known one. You don't always want. To I think you need something that's not going to turn someone away. Yeah, yeah, to seen as some kind of you know mountain to climb kind of thing. Um, exactly. Yeah, you could. I mean, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I started with faces. I started with faces. So what do I know? You know. Well, I, the from. thing is, like every person I've talked to also started with a different thing. That they mm. didn't necessarily, some of them, they had started off with that and they recommended it. But some were like, yeah, I started off with this, but I wouldn't recommend like the one I started off with. I would not recommend starting off with that. Unless you're someone who's like, I want to start from the beginning to the end. That's totally fine. Then do that. Mm. You don't need my recommendation. But if you want me to recommend something, I would say Mini Mouskowitz or Opening Eye. So yeah. Second question, last question. What film would you pair this with? If you're making a double bill film or films, uh, would you fill, pair this with? And what's the reasoning behind those double bills? As always, I have a bunch of films. I just can't cut them down. Uh, yep, I wanted to so take I... another and film. 
you know, okay. me and Moskowitz. I like I like other and films. Uh, okay. Mikey and Nikki is the obvious one because it stars John yeah. Cassavetes and, and and his other buddy, and it's directed by Elaine May, and it's got a similar style. I also picked one of your faves, Frankie and Johnny. About <laughs> I two, didn't pick that yeah. one. I you do have an it? end. I have an end, but it's not Frankie and Johnny. There, there are a lot of similarities in the there with, is. The, with the characters yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, they're both, you know, it's set in a more romanticized New York and stuff like that, but it's there's some similarities in there. It's it's, it's like a Moskowitz. Um, no god no he's a lot sweeter but, um, i'd rather date johnny than moskowitz yeah he's doing way better drugs than, than whatever seymour was doing <laughs> also it's their quality it's al pacino but it, it feels almost like that like a hollywood version of mini moskowitz it's like if they were to remake it in a hollywood film it's like that's almost like that what they would do in a weird way the other ones, I just wrote down other ones that I was thinking of, which was Moonstruck and Sid and Nancy, probably just because I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, the other one I would actually pick, the the one I'm going with, is a film called Adam and Paul, which is an Irish okay. film by Lenny Abramson um, about two. Okay, what did you say? It's an in, it's an Irish film. Yeah, by Lenny Abramson. Okay, where film. what is Irish? Where is Ireland in terms of the map? Ireland is a small but fantastic country. Let me tell you. Uh, on the on the on the far end of of the Western Europe, okay. Um, it's got it's it's lovely. You got you got to check it out. And like, what do you guys have to offer there? We got apart from times firm. <laughs> okay, jeez. We got lots of that too. Uh, we wow. got good times. We got great food. Uh, we got great scenes. Anyway, Adam and Paul. It's it's uh. A film set in Dublin. It's about two uh, uh, heroin users going around Dublin, and it's more like a of mice and men kind of relationship, I guess. Oh God, um, that's not fun. I mean, it's not that fun of a film, but well, yeah. Like now of, that you say of mice and men, like now I'm instantly depressed. <laughs> yeah, that that's a tough one. But uh, the way it's shot, the way it looks, it's a very. I don't know if he shot it in the same way where it's chronological. I think he did. I think that's his style as well. I also like to pick a film that I know you haven't seen just to okay. show you up in your own podcast. So, yeah. okay. Those are interesting ones. There's one that you did mention that um, was on my list. Uh, so Sid and Nancy was an obvious one to me. So that mm-hmm. was on my list. Another one. I had two others. One of them being Lulu, which is a Mojis Piala film from 1980. It's a French film starring Isabelle Huppert. My theme for this was toxic couplings i say couplings as opposed to couples toxic couplings they're in this film lulu they're like the worst couples that you we've all known like that couple that is just like when they get invited out you know it's gonna be drama and you're like oh god sometimes it's fun to watch sometimes it's like really annoying to be around that's them it's a fun time it's a short enough movie lulu's great piala is a great director and you can't really go wrong with Isabella Huppert. She's always, she always really picks uh, great films. So that one. And then my third one would be a film that I know you recently watched, finally, mm-hmm. on my recommendation. Let's say which, it together. Three, two, one. Scarecrow. Possession. <laughs> no. Damn. We, every time we tried that, it's failed. Go on. Sorry. Scarecrow. Okay. Good, good choice. <laughs> 
Scarecrow, Jerry Chatsworth. That's why I said couplings. They're not technically mm. a couple, but they're coupling. They're not good for each other. We see that by well, the outcome of what goes on and throughout the film. But they're drawn towards each other. And they think they should be good for each other, but they're not really. But I think it'd be a good, good, you know, 1970s American double bill for people to watch. Not even just for like the thematic double billing of uh, not great couples, but mm-hmm. just to showcase what American cinema had to offer at the time, especially American independent cinema. And actors who are really putting themselves fully out there because Mini Moskowitz is a Cassavetes film that's not really the top of what people are talking about. Like, if you're a Cassavetes fan, you know about it, but it's not the immediate one. And then Scarecrow is not a film that's often talked about when we were talking about Pacino or Gene Hackman, you know? Mm-hmm. No one really talks about Scarecrow. I only recently found out about it this year. Yeah, I know. It's really good. And it's like an insane performances by both of them. An insane movie. Like, it's just one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my entire life. It's now one of my all-time favorite films. So, highest of recommendations for me. Mm. I think those would make the best double bills. It was funny because I, I, I mean, I hadn't really, I mean, I'd heard of it, but I hadn't like heard that much about it. And I, I recently watched Serpico as well. And I was like, this is a film that's constantly gets talked about. I was like, Scarecrow is like significantly better. Not that Serpico is yeah. bad, but like Scarecrow no, is like Scarecrow is much better. better. And it's a better Pacino performance in my, in my, in my opinion. But yeah. Yeah. Because he's baby girl in it. Mm. It was nice to do this third podcast, which I look forward to being invited back for the fourth we might have decided our friendship is no longer worth it at that point (laughs) all right well thanks so much dar for being a great third time guest um that was great i really appreciate your time and your patience for talking to a black woman about film okay it takes a lot (laughs) thank you so much bye there's like chemistry we were talking (laughs) Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney, with intro music by Lamar Walker. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. While you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And thanks for joining us for our John Cassavetes series. Let's go.